All right, good morning. How we doing? Doing all right. I'm a little under the weather, as you can tell, but we're still ready to party. So let's get going. Uh, if you're new here, want to welcome you. Thanks for being here this weekend. We have a special gift for you, actually. Uh, if you just fill out a welcome card, you go to the welcome booth. They're going to give you a, a bag that has some goodies in it, one of which is butter cake bars, which are fantastic. So make sure you grab one of those. Um, also, we have these cards, which we've been talking about. We just kind of threw them out there a few weeks ago and have been hearing cool stories about these. These are just like have basic information about the church that you can throw in your wallet or in your purse, and in case an invitation or an opportunity to invite somebody to church uh, arises, you can go, oh, hey, you know what? I actually have the information right here. And this week, uh, somebody told me that they were at work, and uh, one of their coworkers mentioned, oh, man, it's such a bummer about Barbara Bush and, and her passing away, but, you know, she's in a better place. And he went, uh, what? What do you mean better place? What do you mean by that? Do you think there's a heaven? Uh, you know, like I started to get into it and like, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. It's like, well, you know what? You should come to my church and had this on him and said, come to my church. They talk about heaven. It's the craziest thing. So anyway, um, grab those um, and, and throw them in your wallet or your purse. So Here's my question of the day. Question of the day is, growing up, did you ever collect anything? All right, so actually turn to the person next to you really quick. Tell them, did you ever collect anything growing up? Go. All right, so let's start over here. Did anybody growing up collect anything? Beanie Babies. That was a great investment, wasn't it? Beanie Babies? Yeah, all right. What else? Anybody? Baseball cards. That, yes, I have uh, in storage, I just have so many boxes of baseball cards because I was told it's going to be a great investment. Retirement, here I come. Uh, all right, anybody over here collect anything growing up? Pogs, yes. See, the younger generations have never heard of Pogs before. You are missing out. All right, anybody else? What else? Comic books, great. Okay, anybody in here? Roadmaps? Bottle caps. I was like, roadmaps? Yeah, MapQuest kind of messed up your collection. Uh, anybody over here? Collect, what is it? Hot Wheels. Thank you. Hot Wheels. All right. Hot Wheels. My wife and I recently discovered, um, unintentionally, we have been collecting VHS tapes. Um, yep. Can't, can't get rid of those for some reason. I don't know why, but we don't even own a VHS player, but we still are collecting them. So uh, growing up, I collected baseball cards, and that was kind of my thing. And so what I would do is um, I, would, I would do chores in order to earn a couple extra bucks so that I could go. There was actually a baseball card shop by our house, and so we would go and hang out there, and I would purchase baseball cards. And I collected so many baseball cards. I still can this day can, cannot get rid of them. Um, they are in storage because I know that they're going to come back around. It's going to be worth a lot of money one day, and um, and I am going to uh, I'm going to be rich. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but as I think about all the time and energy that I spent both doing chores, trying to earn enough money to buy them, and all the time that I thought about baseball cards and collecting them and trading them with my friends, I realized that was just a big fat waste of time and money. And if you have a, one of those things that you collect and, and maybe you're still collecting it and you're all about it, but you'll probably look back and go, really? Beanie Babies, that was my big, like I spent all that time and energy on Beanie Babies. And see, the, what really is frustrating to me is not just the waste of, of money, but the waste of time. 
And all of us have time wasters. If you grew up in the, uh, in the 90s or maybe the early 2000s, you remember there used to be this phone that first came out. It was called the Nokia phone. And on the Nokia phone, if you were lucky enough, you had a game called Snake. Oh, yeah. Game. Yeah, I know people who could have got a college degree in the amount of time that they spent playing that stupid game. And, uh, and you probably had other time wasters as well. You, um, you went on uh, AIM. That was my big time waster in high school. If you don't know what that is, that's instant messenger in which you could type. It was like pretexting uh, in which you could kind of type and, and text with your friends. But even today, we got video games, social media, YouTube, Netflix. Um, in college, I spent an entire week, we, it was just before Netflix, Netflix, where we would buy seasons of shows and then we would binge watch them. And so we bought all the seasons of Lost and watched them all in a row. It was like we would eat, sleep, watch, eat, sleep, watch for an entire week. That's all that I did. And I look back now and, and my life is a little bit different, a little bit more chaotic. And I just go, I cannot believe what a waste of time that was. I was just killing time. I had nothing, nothing to do. But not only do a lot of us, we waste some of the minutes and, and some of the, the afternoons and some of our days and weeks, but we've had entire seasons in which we have wasted our time. You can think back to a relationship and you go, wow, what a waste of time that was, a dead-end job that you may have had, uh, trying to impress people. Here's the way that I wasted uh, entire seasons of my life is through worrying. I would worry about what was going to happen in the future, and I would just be so consumed with anxiety and worry that it would just take over an entire season of my life that I could never get back. And so um, one of my fears is, is that, um, and if you're like me, you're real busy, and we've been talking about that, but I'm not sure that I'm busy with anything that really matters. Because if you were to ask me, Cody, what did you get done last week? Well, I could tell you I, 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 was, I was busy. I know that. I was real busy. But what were you busy with? Just living, you know? I was busy living, man. I mean, I had to feed my kids and stuff. And I know, because I, I don't think it added up to much, is if you looked at your entire year, 2017, and you were to say, here is what I accomplished, would you say that it really added up to anything significant? For the most, uh, most part, we didn't do too much. I mean, we were busy, but we didn't accomplish a whole lot. And so I want to talk about how are we to use our time wisely? How do we make sure that all the moments, all the crazy busyness, that it's actually heading towards something that, that matters? And so um, I want to, uh, uh, I kind of want to base this talk off a conversation that I had this last week. So um, many of you guys know my dad's dad, Norman. He's a pastor, incredible dude, um, short, round, uh, godly voice. He's a good dude. And, um, and he's 86, and we found out this last week that, you know, he's heading towards the end of his life, and he was, he was in hospice. He got put in hospice. And, and it's, it's, of course, it's sad, and it's upsetting, and so all of us went out there and visited with him. But I got to be honest, there is this sadness, but there was more um, celebration than sadness. Because this guy has lived life to the fullest. He has lived well. And so we were just there and he said, guys, let's not be sad. We are celebrating the fact that God has been so good to me. And so we got to do that and we got to hang out and, and uh, he's Henri, And so he continues to push forward even uh, to this very day. Um, but we know that, you know, it's, it's towards the end here. And I uh, made sure that I spent some time with him discussing some of the questions that I had. And I wanted to hear his insights on life and, and ministry and things like that. And, and 
one of the, th- the messages that is cliche but is so true is that life just goes by so quickly. It's so short. And watching him, 86, and he's reflecting on his life, and we're talking about all that kind of stuff. It's like, wow, time really flew. I mean, it was, I was your age, and now here I am. And, and I realized that um, even though I'm relatively young, that's kind of happening to me as well. Because um, my son, Ezra, and I, we both went out there together because he loves his uh, great-grandpapa, and so he wanted to visit with great-grandpa as well. And uh, while great-grandpa was visiting with some other people, we decided to go in his office and explore a little bit, see if we could find anything fun in there. And so Ezra and I found this old picture, and I snapped a picture of it real quick on my cell phone so I could show you guys. But this was a picture that I remember taking, or being in it. And what's crazy about this picture is my dad is the same age that I am right now in this picture. Uh, My grandfather is the same age that my dad is right now, and I'm the same age that my kids are right now. And I thought, how weird is that? That, you know what? It's just going by so quick that now I'm like my dad in this picture. Now, we've both grown up and out over the years, but, um, but wow, how, how quickly did that happen? That's just, that's crazy to me. And as, uh, as my kids are growing up, it's just going by even, even faster. And so it just reminds me that life is really short, and we only have a limited amount of time, so we have to be wise with our time. By the way, I uh, had a f- another fun conversation this week. I told you about uh, one of my friends. He's 83 years old, and we always talk at the gym. Uh, he goes to church here, and I think most of the time we, we just find things to talk about because neither of us want to actually work out, and so we just chat. And <clears throat> this last week he came up to me and he said, you know, I, I, I got the last message and there's some clubs that I'm a part of that maybe I'm going to pull back on those a little bit. But you know what? There's one thing that I'm going to make sure that I'm consistent with. I got to study my Bible because I'm pretty sure my final exam's coming up soon. And I thought, well, that's, <laughs> that's morbid, but I like your sense of humor. That's good. That's good. Anyway, and, and so in the Psalms, it says this in Psalm 90 uh, verse 12, it says this, throw it up on the screen. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So uh, the scripture says that if you want to begin to be wise with your time, you have to count your days. And so I like to think of it like this is if you count your days, you'll make your days count. If you count your days, you'll make your days count. Meaning we have to realize we have a limited number of days. We have a limited number of minutes. And so every decision that we make, everything that we do with our time matters because we can't get those moments back. And so um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and that's who I kind of want to look at today because I think he was probably pretty efficient with his time. He has some insights that we can gain and how to best use the moments that we're given. So if you're not a Bible person, um, you may not know who the Apostle Paul is. And the Apostle Paul wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. And um, even if you don't believe in the Bible, Paul has some great insights because Paul was a really effective and efficient uh, uh, worker, is he was able to accomplish a lot in a little bit of time. And so in business terms, you could look at Paul and say, he pretty much um, is the one that planted and started all the Jesus franchises. Like he went out and he said, you know what, this Jesus, he's got something going on. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to make a bunch of franchises. This is one of them. It's called, it's called the church. And he goes out and he plants a bunch of franchises. And then he helps lead all of these franchises, including ones that he had never even been to. And the way he did it was through letters. He would write letters to these churches, kind of giving them guidance. In fact, a lot of the letters that he did was while he was in prison. And so he talks about how we can use our time wisely. Now, I believe that the words that he penned are actually the words of God, that God spoke through him and is communicating to us. But even if you don't believe that, I think you should listen to Paul because he has some uh, pretty insightful things to say about time. So here's what he says 
In Ephesians 5, 15, it says this. We'll throw it up on the screen. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so here's how I want to break this passage down. I want to give us four words, and I think these four words can kind of be a, a grid in which we can filter our decisions through, especially the ones about our schedule and what we're going to say yes to and what we're going to make time to for. And, and so the first, uh, or the four words are this. I'm going to throw them up there. It is, the first word is destination. That's still me. All right. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, destination, direction, diversion, and determination. And the words for me, it helps to make sense because I think of life like a journey. And so I like to use words that kind of relate to a, a journey. But uh, once you understand the concept, you can come up with your own words. All right. But I, I think the principle still remains. So the first one is this, is destination. Paul says, be very careful how you live. Or other translations say, pay careful attention to how you walk. So he's trying to communicate intentionality. If you want to be wise with your time, you have to be intentional with your time. Do not just drift through life. Do not just life, let life come at you. But you have to be intentional with every moment that you have. Every step, everything that you do, every decision that you make is on purpose. He continues on. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Or other translations say, redeem the time. And so he's using accounting terms because he's equating time with money, which we, we understand, right? We, we do say that time is money. And he says, you need to spend your time like money wisely. Don't invest it in stupid things. And so one of the sayings that, um, that we have in our, uh, our culture is make sure you get your money's worth. And I think Paul would say, make sure you get your time's worth because everything that you do is an investment of your time. And so make sure whatever you're paying for is worth it. Don't use it on useless or wasteful things. So if we're going to be intentional with our time, I think we've got to ask a series of questions. Things like, where do I want to end up in life? What's the destination? Who do you want to be? What do you want your marriage to look like? What do you want your kids to grow up and, and be like? And for me, um, the question is, who do I want to be at 86? So as I look at my grandfather and I go, man, that is an incredible goal. I want to live that kind of life. Who do you want to be at 86? Because we have to determine our destination, where we're going to be heading in life. We don't want to just float through life. We don't want to just um, drift along in the current. We want to be intentional about where we go. Now, I need to clarify one thing. Is it's not just about being intentional about our destination. Because there's lots of people that I know that have been very intentional with their destinations. In which they said, here's who I want to be. Here's what I want to set out. Here's what I want to accomplish. And the problem is once they actually accomplished that thing and they arrived at their desired destination, they realized this was the wrong destination. I've been pointing towards the wrong place and striving for the wrong thing this whole time. As I was talking to my grandfather about you know, some of his life and, and how he emotionally feels and, and, and what it's kind of like to, to know that you're kind of, you're at the end of, of your life. He said, you know what, I'm at, I'm at total peace. I am celebrating this incredible life that God gave me. He said, but I do have some friends that don't feel the same way. I do have some friends that are in the same place as me. One is in hospice, one passed away recently, and they didn't have the peace that I have. In fact, they were full of a lot of regret and there was a lot of tears in their eyes. And it's because that they had arrived at a destination that they set out for early in life. And these men were setting out to be uh, accomplished businessmen. And that was their ultimate priority. And it's great to, to pursue business. I think that that's a, a biblical thing. But this became their ultimate thing. And so they pursued it and they climbed to the top of their industry. And then they realized this was the wrong destination. Sure, it was great, but this wasn't, this wasn't the primary purpose of their life. 
And so they realized that they had wasted so many years pursuing the wrong destination and giving up the things that were most important, like their marriages and their kids. And so it's not just about uh, pursuing a destination and setting out to accomplish a goal. It's about setting the right goals, the right destination. And so Paul kind of gives us a, a little bit of an insight in how we know if we're heading towards the right destination. He says, understand what the Lord's will is. You want to know where to head in life? Go towards where God's will is. Now, when we begin talking about God's will, I don't know if this is a young people thing or if this is just a people people thing, but for some reason, when we start talking about God's will, people start to get a little bit fuzzy and they go, well, I'm not really sure what God's will is for my life. He hasn't really revealed it to me yet. And I want to stop and go, okay, okay, maybe God hasn't revealed a very specific area of your life yet, like a job or who you're supposed to marry. And those are important. And, and you should continue to ask God to, to speak to you about those things. But here's the good news is God has already communicated like 99% of his will for your life. Like you just got to open the Bible and check it out. Because here's, here's what's true of me and probably true of you. I'm intellectually lazy. And so when I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing, what God's will is for my life, here's what I want and here's what you want too is, God, just communicate it to me. Go ahead. Speak to me. Right? And I, I would imagine that God's looking at us going, I did. I wrote it down. Any motel that you stay in, it's there. You know, like it's not that complicated. But we're over here going, God, I need a message. I need a word from you. And he's like, read the book. You know, just open it up. That's where the message is. And so I think part of the challenges um, of finding out God's will is just simply opening the Bible and going, okay, God, what do you want for my life? And he goes, oh, I'm so glad that you asked. I actually wrote it for you. Here we go. Let's get started. And so um, the first thing that we have to do when we think about pursuing God's will for our life is simply what does God want for us as believers, as Christians? He has mapped out some very specific destinations for us in which we are to pursue. And so the first destination as a believer is that we are, and we talked about this in week one, we are supposed to seek God first. In Matthew 6, which was our verse from week one, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And so he goes, look, it's easy. The destination for you as a believer, number one thing is you're supposed to pursue me, a relationship with me. You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to follow me. You're supposed to be guided by me. That's the destination. Go for it. Let's go. This is a journey that we get to take together. Because here's, um, here's what this passage means is, if you will put him at the center of your life, and you will make him your primary goal, that everything else kind of revolves around that. And so if you get that thing right, everything else is going to work out as well. Everything kind of revolves around that relationship. But also, if you get that wrong, everything is going to end up less than or even destroyed. And so at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, I know that this is my primary objective, is to know God, be known by God, and to live for him. Second destination is this, is to love my wife and have a God-honoring marriage that lasts a lifetime. And so when I look at destinations in life, and my grandpa, he is a great example of this because he sits there and he goes, I have pursued God, and I have been married forever, like forever. And see, that's, that's the win. That's the goal. The third is this, is I want to love my kids and I want them to love the Lord. Is if I get to look at my life and I sit at 86 and go, I've loved God, I've loved my wife, and I've loved my kids, and my kids love the Lord. I won. That's it. That is a successful life. And so my grandfather said that one of the primary regrets of many of his friends is um, that they spent so much time concerned about other things 
and they never introduced their kids to the Lord. They were concerned about taking care of their, their financial needs or, or whatever they, they thought was the, the primary purpose of um, their parenting. And they pursued all of these things. And now they look back at their life and they say that they've missed it. My grandpa said something really interesting. He said this, he says, um, as they were looking at the end of their life, they were not afraid of their own death because they had become Christians and they knew where they were going to, to go. And this is the powerful thing. He said they were afraid that they would be the only one in their family there is they look at their life and they go, man, all those things that I pursued, they're not bad things in themselves, but I missed it. I missed the main things. And so Paul says, um, if we don't pursue these things, God's will for our lives that he has laid out. And I wouldn't say this. I got to be honest. I think Paul's being rude to you right now. Okay. I think he's saying some things that I wouldn't say to you, but he said it. So I'll tell you. He says, if you either willingly or unwillingly do not follow what God's will is for your life, that you are a fool. Other translations say you're stupid. I wouldn't say that. I think it's rude, okay? I think it's rude. But he did, so here we go. Um, He said, it is foolish if you willfully ignore God's will. If you stick your head in the sand and go, well, I don't know, God hasn't communicated to me. I haven't had any magical, mystical experiences, so I'm not really sure what God wants me to do. That's probably kind of foolish. If you... um, continue to just move with the cultural current and do what everybody else is doing. You live like they live. You raise your kids like they do. You make your priorities the same as them. If you continue to go with what everybody else is doing, you're, you're kind of stupid. And then this one's pretty obvious. If you do what you know that you're not supposed to do, that's really dumb. Here's how you know if you do this. And I, I say this from personal experience because I've heard myself say these very things is, uh, you know, one day I'm going to pay for this. Oh, one day I'm really going to regret this. Oh, it's going to catch up with me. About every other meal that I eat, I end up saying one of those things. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a fool. I do foolish stuff. You do foolish stuff. The main idea here is that with God's guidance, we are to determine our destination. Um, that we are to be intentional about where we are going. Second thing is direction. He says, be careful then, and then I underlined this in my, uh, my, my notes here, is how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. See, he's saying not only do you need to be intentional about where you're going, but you need to make sure that your life is pointed in the direction of your destination. Because here's the problem, is um, direction, not intention, determine our destination. Let me say that again. Direction, not intention, determine our destination. See, you and I, we believe that if we have the right intentions, if our heart is in the right place, then that's enough. Wrong. See, intentions are great, but if you're pointed in the wrong direction, your intentions are irrelevant. Think about this. If I wanted to go to, let's say, L.A. after this, and we were going to go have lunch with the family, and it's going to be a great afternoon, and I jump on the 405 headed towards San Diego, my intentions are fairly irrelevant because we're not going to L.A. because I've headed in the wrong direction. So despite my intentions, it really boils down to what direction am I pointed And so once you know where your desired destinations are, you have to then ask, am I moving in the right direction? Is my life structured in such a way as to help me arrive at this desired destination? And this is all about priorities and action. Is once you have answered the question of where you want to end up, now you need to prioritize that thing. You need to put that into your schedule first. And so for for me, if... uh, if it's about God first, then I have to make sure that that thing gets put in my schedule 
first, above all else. Because here's what's true of me and true of you, is if you don't intentionally put things in your schedule, you will never find time for it. If you go, oh, you know what, at some point during the day, I will, it's not going to happen. There is no, ah, oh, you know what, this is the craziest thing. I am bored out of my mind right now. What should I do? I, I haven't had that, neither of you. And so unless I intentionally put that in my schedule, I end up focusing on the immediate things. We, we learn this, immediate things instead of the important things. See, my life is not about the quantity of things that I can get done. Although that's what we are made to believe, is you need to fit as m- many things in your schedule as possible. Wrong. It's not about the quantity, it's about the quality It doesn't matter if you're able to accomplish a thousand insignificant things. Um, It's far better to get the things that are important rather than immediate done. And so a lot of us, we have things on our priority list. In fact, all of us have a priority list for for our lives. You probably were not intentional about what you have put as your first and second and third priorities, but yet you have them. Because if you look at what you spend your money on, you spend your time on, what you worry about the most, what you talk about the most, what you think about the most, those are your, those are your priorities. That's your priority list. Now, you may not be happy with your priority list because you weren't intentional about it, but everybody has it. So if I say God is my first, then I'm going to put him in my schedule first. That means maybe before I get up, before I check my phone, before I head off to the, to the gym, whatever it is, before I do anything, this is primary. This is first, and so I will put it first in my schedule. Second is my spouse, is I need to make sure that I put her in my, my daily schedule, my weekly schedule, and even my yearly schedule, is I need to make sure that we spend time together. So um, one of the rules that we kind of have, it's an unspoken rule, is that her and I, we have to connect before we go to bed. Like we have to at least spend 15 minutes where we're just kind of decompressing from the day. We're talking through life a little bit. We're not talking through tomorrow's schedule because that's a business partner. I don't need a business partner. I need a spouse. And so we're going to talk through the day and, and decompress a little bit. And, and the life stage that we're in is, is fairly difficult with three little ones running around and it's crazy. And so one of the things that we do is because it's difficult to be able to connect, we will literally put our kids in the car, strap them in car seats and throw candy at them and go for a drive. Because we're just like, you know what? You guys are back there. We get to hang out up here, you know? And like a drive again? Yes, a drive again. You guys are out of your minds. We're going for a drive. It's because we just need time to connect. We need to be able to, uh, to, be able to have relational time together. Uh, the third is, is the kids. I need to find time daily, weekly, and yearly to spend time with them because they're my priority. They're, they're number three in my life, and so I'm going to make sure that they get put in my schedule. There, there is nothing that I would rather do less than to play cars or paint when I get home from work. I, oh my goodness, I would pay a lot of money to be able to just take a nap when I get home, and yet they're a priority. And so we're going to make sure that I invest in them on a daily basis, a weekly, and even a yearly basis. And so uh, this last week when I headed out to Arizona to visit um, family, I decided to use it also as an opportunity to spend some time with one of my kids. And so I took my middle child, Ezra, who's three. We decided um, he was going to come with me and we we're going to do a guy's road trip which sounds a lot better than um, it really is because I don't know if you've ever been in a car for seven hours with a three-year-old. They're not that patient, turns out. Um, He didn't sleep for one minute, and he asked every 15 minutes, so are we there? How much longer? Are we there? How much longer? I'm like, oh, my goodness. I love you, kid, but this is tough. Um, 
but we get out there, and I thought, oh, I'm going to make this special. And so we, we rent a hotel that we can stay in. He thought it was cool. In fact, he was so amped up that he didn't go to bed till midnight. And so we got to hang out then, too. And, uh, and then the next, uh, next day, we, we, we jumped on an airplane because he had never been on an airplane. So we went on an airplane, and he was just so excited about that. And, and that was a disaster. And so it was just crazy. It was chaos all the time. He, I would recommend that you do not have a traveling partner who is three years old. All right? That's... that's if you don't get anything from today, just take that away with you. But I knew that it was important for us to be able to connect. And although it was very inconvenient to take him as my travel buddy, I would not trade it for the world because we got to spend some quality time together without his brother or sister, with just me and him, and be able to invest. And so we have to set our priorities first, and then we have to put action steps to them. Third is this, is diversion, or if it's easier for you to remember, is distractions. Paul says that the, the, the days are evil. Now, he could be referencing what's happening in that context in Ephesus, but I think that there's something e even bigger happening. The days are evil, meaning that we live in, in a universe that is broken. Because of our rebellion against God and, and the consequences of that, we live in a place that um, is not operating the way that it should be. And you can see this from the, the biggest to the smallest things in life. If you look at the universe itself, there's this thing called entropy, and the idea is that everything is moving from a state of order to disorder. And not just true of the universe, that's true of you and I and everything in our life. If you look at your bodies, your bodies are not getting better looking as you get older, I'm sorry to tell you. If you, some of you guys are like, ooh, that's rude. Mm, that's true. Um, Okay, let me say this. Maybe you are getting in better shape, but let, let's say this. Is, um, your body does not get healthier as you get older, right? You're not heading towards a place of health. You're heading towards a place of decay. It's true of everybody. You don't sit around and go from fat to fit by doing nothing, right? There has to be something that intervenes into the process because if left alone, everything is going to go from uh, order to disorder in the universe. This is true of your house. This is true of your car. This is true of everything. If you walk out of your house and it is just a mess, you have never walked in and you go, cleaned itself. Crazy. I love this house. No. If you left your car alone for a while, you know what happens? Have you ever gone on like a trip and you come back a few weeks later? Is your car cleaner than when you left? No. It's a disaster. Birds have pooped all over. It's, it is, the thing's a mess. Why? Because everything is moving from order to disorder. And unless you intervene, um, the, the end result will be, will be chaos, will be destruction, will be decay. This is so true of our schedules. Is our schedules and our lives are not moving from a place of, uh, of disorder to order. It is the opposite. Unless we intervene and we begin to um, actively pursue order, our life will continue to spin out of control. That is, the, that is the natural tendency of your life is to spin out of control for your schedules to get more full and more cluttered. So this last year, Amy and I, um, we moved out of the house and lived in a trailer for seven months, and we've told you about that, and that was a disaster. But uh, one of the good things about being able to move out of our house and clean everything out was I had the opportunity to declutter. Uh, my wife is incredible at collecting clutter. I don't know if it's a spiritual gift, but she manages to just collect stuff, right? It, it turns like from a junk drawer to a junk room to a junk house. And so I thought, I'm just going to throw stuff away. I ended up throwing lots of stuff away, some stuff I shouldn't have, heirlooms. But anyway, we threw stuff away. I was going to declutter. I think that's kind of what needs to happen with some of our schedules. As you do a spring cleaning in your house, you need to do a spring cleaning for your schedule, 
is you have accumulated some clutter, some commitments, some stuff, some activities, and you go, you know what? I just got to get this out. We got we to gotta get back to the, kind of the basics, to the necessities, because this schedule is too chaotic. And so unless you intervene, that's how your life will end up. And last one is this, is uh, determination. It's about focus and intensity and, and strategy. I think if you're a Bible reader, you have read Paul, you quickly realize that this dude is focused, that he is intense, that he is intentional about what he's doing with his life is he had a, the, this goal of following Jesus and making him known and planting these churches. And so he did not allow anything to get in his way. He was in prison at one point. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. And yet he just continues to push on forward. This guy was intense. And I don't know if you've ever hung out with a person who seems to be a high achiever. They just seem to accomplish more in their day than you think is humanly possible. And you just go, how are you able to do that? Whenever I walk away from either a conversation or a reading or learning about someone like that, the, my initial thought is, Cody, you need to step your game up. I don't know what you do all day, but like you got to step up your game. You got to get on this. And I think Paul is giving us some insight into how we can step our game up when it comes to our crazy busy lives. Here's what he says. He says that you need to live not as unwise, but as wise. And everybody in the room goes, oh, that makes perfect sense. No? Okay. Uh, here's what he's saying. He says that you need to live as wise. Now, let's take that statement and let's turn it into a question, a question that we can filter some of our decision-making through. What if we began to ask, what is the wise thing for me to do as we're trying to decide what to put into our schedules? What is the wise thing for me to do? See, that's how we step our decision-making game up. Because most of us right now, we ask questions like, well, is this a good thing or a bad thing? If this is a good thing, sure, I'm going to do it. If it's a bad thing, I'm going to try to avoid it. No wonder our schedules are so crazy. There are an unlimited amount of good things that we could be doing at any given moment. And if we continue to say good, uh, yes to the good things, our lives are going to become more and more chaotic. Paul says, no, no, no. It's not about saying yes to the good things and no to the bad things. It's by saying yes to the wise things. I recently watched a documentary on, on Netflix because I wanted to waste some time. And... It was about a champion UFC fighter. And it was actually really fascinating because they went through um, the training regimen and how this person became the champion. And one of the keys to becoming a champion, and I think this is true of probably any arena of life, is they learned how to simplify. That their whole life became about this one thing about ending up as the champion, as being the best. And so all the unnecessary things, all the peripheral things that they had in their life, they would end up eliminating so that they could spend all of their time and energy on accomplishing their goal. See, this idea of simplicity um, is actually nothing new. Because simplicity not only works in business and, and athletics, but it's actually been a principle that uh, Christians have been practicing for a really long time. There's a long history of Christians practicing a life of simplicity or the discipline of simplicity. It actually started with Jesus, and Jesus lived a pretty simple life. He had no house, no spouse, no kids, and very little money. And yet in three years, he was able to transform the world. There's been no one else who has done anything more significant than Jesus. And yet his life was so simple. He comes along and he says, you know, my mission is simple. I came to seek and to save the lost. And my message is simple. It's repent because the kingdom of God is near. 
In fact, he made our lives pretty simple. Because before Jesus, we have the Old Testament and these guys, the Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders, they would try to follow all the rules of the Old Testament, over 600 of them. And then Jesus comes along and he goes, you know what, let me just make this simple for you. There's two. Love God, love people. Simple. In fact, let me make this whole um, knowing God thing simple. Before it was God is unknowable, God is other, God is out there. And then he shows up in the flesh and goes, here I am, simple. What do you want to know about God? Here I am. He makes salvation simple. He says, you don't have to do a bunch of rules. You don't have to follow all this stuff. All you have to do is accept this free gift. Simple. See, the value of simplicity is not just a value in the discipline of living a simple life. The key is that simplicity comes from a heart that is focused on one thing. See, the external practice of simplicity, I think, has its own benefits, And both the secular and the religious have understood this for generations. But the real key to a life of simplicity is when when your heart is focused on one thing. See, our, our lives are not simple because our souls are constantly being pulled in different directions. Our hearts desire so many different things. It desires to be known, to impress other people, to to keep up, to feel wanted, to achieve, to experience, to acquire. And so as our heart is divided, we can no longer live a life of simplicity. And that's why our souls are so chaotic. That's why our lives are so chaotic. And so if we can make our life about one thing, and we can make our heart about one thing, then we can live out this idea of simplicity. So for me, this one thing is to to know God, to love him, to make him known, Um, to be known by him, to follow him wherever he may lead. That's what my one thing is all about. And if I can continue to make that one thing the center of my life, everything else is going to work itself out. And so as I was uh, thinking about my uh, conversation with my grandfather and just realizing, um, one, what an incredible life he has lived and, and continues to live, but also just seeing him being at such peace He would tell you that the reason why he was able to live that life and the reason why he's able to sit there in such peace, even though the future is very unknown, is because he got up every single day and he said, as long as I do this one thing, then everything else thing is going to take care of itself. As long as I pursue God today, as long as I make him the first priority, my marriage, my kids, my career, all that stuff is going to find its spot. It's going to work itself out as long as I keep the main thing the main thing. And so when I walked away from uh, my conversation with my grandfather, the first thought that popped in my mind is, if it doesn't matter at 86, it probably doesn't matter much right now. If I sit there at 86, what am I going to be thinking about? Whatever my priority is going to be. What am I going to be reflecting on? And if I'm not really concerned about it then, I probably shouldn't be too concerned about it now. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we have hearts that are divided our souls are, are pulled in so many different directions because we believe the answer is in success or, or, or achievements or, or impressing others. Or, and Lord God, you do want us to achieve. You do want us to, to do well in life. You've called us into um, some great careers and, and some great purposes, and yet those cannot be the answer. When it all boils down, at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing, which is a life of simplicity dedicated to you. And so, Lord God, I just pray that if there's anybody here who their hearts are are, are divided and they're trying to figure out what they, Lord God, that you would just 
take everything, all the extras, all the peripheral stuff, that you'd help them to lay it aside and go, you know what, there's just one thing that I need to do. Seek first your kingdom. And if I do that, all the other things are going to be taken care of. And so, Lord God, we thank you for how good you are to us, how good you have been to us. In your name we pray. Amen.